Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knudsen had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host for today, Chris Knudsen, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed. In today's episode, I talk with Martin Andrews about the development of the Maybe Logistics Support Bridge from its origins in the Bailey Bridge. But before we dive into that conversation, I have some exciting news. PPI, our exclusive exam prep podcast sponsor, has given away $100 Amazon gift cards every month to our listeners. For more information on how to qualify, make sure to listen to my announcement later on in this episode. Now let's meet today's guest for the civil engineering conversation. It's Martin Andrews, who is the military sales manager for Maybe Bridge Limited, where he works with ministries of defense and military forces from around the world to support their bridging needs. He served in the British Royal Engineers, retired as a lieutenant colonel, and has extensive experience in the planning and conduct of national, multinational, and NATO operations, as well as in engineer logistics and equipment management worldwide. So why are we talking about temporary bridges? what you may think is just about military bridges, which what Martin and I are going to be talking about. And the reason that you're doing that is because you got to, as I think as a civil engineer, have a greater picture about different ways of solving problems. And so what kind of problem are you trying to solve here? Well, we're trying to solve the problem of bridging a gap, getting from one point to another across a river or across a highway or perhaps even across a, a railroad. And why is this important? Okay, if you're sitting in the United States, listen to this, or maybe even some other countries listening to this, you're thinking, well, why do I need to worry about this? This isn't that big of a deal. But as civil engineers, and especially those of us from the U.S., uh, should be familiar with uh, the American Society of Civil Engineers, ASCE's 2017 Infrastructure Report Card. And if not 2017, just pick one. Uh, these Infrastructure Report Cards are telling us, really, unfortunately, about all the things that aren't so great about the state of the infrastructure in the United States. And specifically for bridges, we're talking 614,000 bridges in the United States, with roughly 40% of those being 50 years or older. And of that total, of the total of 614,000 bridges, 56,000 of them, or 9%, were considered structurally deficient in 2016. So that meant in 2016, on average, there were 188 million trips across a structurally deficient bridge every day. So as a civil engineer listening to this podcast, do you know if you have structurally deficient bridges in the communities that you live in? How about on your commute to and from work or running errands or just going about everyday life? So what happens when one of the bridges goes from structurally deficient to closed or, God forbid, even worse, to collapsed? What happens then? Perhaps one way or perhaps one response is with some type of a bridging system that serves as a short to midterm solution that would help uh, to maintain vital access. And so that's one of the reasons why we're having this episode, why I wanted to dive into this temporary bridging system. And although Martin and I are going to be talking about the applications uh, predominantly in a military system, and that's where this bridge really has its origins, where it came from. It came from military applications. It's used in both civil applications, so day-to-day, -day, okay, civil infrastructure, as well as in support of humanitarian operations. So we're going to be getting into the origins of this bridging system. It's the Bailey Bridge. 
which has its origins in World War II, but it's evolved over the decades. And we're going to be talking about that. And if you have a chance, I'm going to recommend that you go check out the links to the photos and the 3D videos that we've put into the show notes for today. Those are going to put a picture to the conversation, give you a few more thousand words to help fill out for you uh, visually about what these structures look like, and it's going to help you better understand it. So if you can get to them either while you're listening to the uh, today's show, that's great. If not, I recommend going and checking those out while the minute you get back to your PC or your Mac, you can take a look at them and see what's going on. And with that, get ready for a conversation about the development of the Maybe Logistics Support Bridge from its origins in the Bailey Bridge in this episode of the Civil Engineer Podcast with Martin Andrews. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Hello, this is Anthony, your co-host for the Civil Engineering Podcast. And before I kick it back to Chris for this week's Civil Engineering Conversation, I wanted to introduce you to our newest sponsor, SkyCiv, who is our sponsor for today's Civil Engineering Conversation, which you are about to hear. SkyCiv is a new and powerful structural analysis software on the cloud that is changing the way engineers work. Their software is securely based on the cloud and runs through your web browser, so there's nothing to download, install, or maintain. SkyCiv offers subscription-based pricing, so you can even subscribe month-to-month as you need it. SkyCiv Structural 3D comes with a full-section builder, easy reporting, multiple solve types, plate analyses, and integrated design modules such as AISC 360. For a limited time, SkyCiv is offering all of our listeners a free 14-day trial. Sign up for this exclusive offer by visiting www.skyciv.com forward slash coach. That's www.skyciv.com forward slash coach and try SkyCiv today. Now it's time for this week's Civil Engineering Conversation. I'm joined by Martin Andrews. Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Yeah, this is going to be a good conversation here because we're going to be talking not only civil engineering in the technical aspects of a topic, but we're going to be talking a little bit history here because uh, for those that aren't of a military background may not have ever heard of a Bailey Bridge and what it is, but we're going to get into that today. And those that do have some military engineering background probably have heard of the Bailey Bridge at some point during their career. So it's going to be a good conversation that we're going to have. For those that maybe don't know what the Bailey Bridge is and what the history of it is, where it came from. Martin, would you mind just sharing a little bit about what the Bailey Bridge is and, and how it historically came into existence? The Bailey Bridge is a modular steel panel bridge, and it came into existence because the new British tank at the beginning of the war, at Class 40, had proved too much for the existing military bridging system. So they had to come up with something new and in a hurry. And Donald Bailey who the bridge is named after, was a civil staff engineer working at the experimental bridging establishment in Christchurch in Dorset. And uh, he was given permission to develop an idea that he'd had for some time to develop a new modular bridging system. And during 1941, he developed, designed and tested his new bridge. And it was then put into mass production by a whole range of engineering companies. And it was available for troops use in 1942. For those that were listening there and and had heard the terminology of the military load classifications, I'll do a a link up in the show notes for you so you can go take a look at those. This gets into a little bit more of the technical side of it, but it has to do with regards to the load carrying capacities, not only for bridging, but also would go into roads and other surfaces for vehicular and uh, track vehicle, uh, vehicle weights. Just to clarify, the weight of the tank was actually 39 tons. 
I mean, from the technical side of this, Martin, it's good for those that maybe have never dealt with or ever heard of uh, MLCs. Go in there and take a look at it and get a, maybe expose themselves to something a little bit new. Would you mind, I mean, it's a little bit about where the bridge came from, but what made the design revolutionary at the time? The design was revolutionary, and it was because it was a modular steel bridge comprised of rectangular panels pinned together to make the bridge trusses. And the panels were made from readily available rolled steel sections welded together in the now familiar Bailey pattern. There had been nothing like it before. The English bridge was made from steel tubes arranged in a kind of triangular Warren-type truss. So the Bailey was revolutionary in the way it looked and the way it was put together. It was extremely versatile. The trusses on each side of the bridge could be made from one, two or three panels, and the panels could be arranged in one, two or three stories high. So almost any bridging requirement could be met very easily and very quickly. And lastly, this is the bit I love, the logistics have been included in the design from the very beginning. Components had to fit on the standard British Army flatbed truck that was being used at the time, and no component could be more than a six-man lift, which at that time was £100 a man, so no more than £600. That's uh, pretty impressive. We'll uh, make sure to include some photos and whatnot so that those that are listening can put some uh, imagery to the wording here. But uh, obviously it makes, you know, what you just described from the logistics aspects associated with it and the modular components definitely would make the bridge useful in comparison to a more, let's say, traditional site-specific bridge design. And the main point about it, it was a bridging system. It was never a bridge that could only, say, span a fixed gap. It was a system that could span, in theory, any gap and take, in theory, any weight of the vehicles around at the time. Maybe describe a little bit more about that, because did that mean that uh, for bridging a gap, there had to be a, let's say, a, a traditional design done for it? Like, you know, obviously for, let's say we're bridging a, a river crossing today, you know, on a municipal carriageway that you'd have to have a design, proper design done for the bridge. In use, traditional use, maybe even current day use of the Bailey Bridge, was there a traditional design or was it more of a, hey, there's the gap, this is how far it is, this is the distance, and you can just quickly make a calculation as to what you needed material-wise? Bridge system was pre-engineered, so any requirement was easily able to be satisfied. So, uh, for example, if you needed to know the span, or indeed on a multi-span crossing the total span, you needed to know the load you were carrying. So principally, the Bailey Bridge was designed to carry the Churchill Tang Class 40, 39 tonnes, but it could also be upgraded to carry Class 70, which is the tank on its tank transporter, or even heavier loads. And indeed, at the end of World War II, it was used extensively in the restoration of many of the European bridges which had been destroyed in the war. Because it was pre-engineered, the design, if you like, was presented to the user in a table. And that's all the engineering that they really needed to do to decide what was required for the bridge. And then there were subsequent tables which helped them to work out exactly how many components they needed for each design. And then subsequently they could work out how many trucks they needed or how many times they needed to cycle through the trucks to deliver the bridge to site. And it came with a really comprehensive handbook where all of these details were, were taken into consideration. It was a fantastic system from that perspective. We're decades on from World War II, and I'd be curious to know what types of design improvements have been made to the original design. This is the great story, and this is really where maybe Bridge comes in. 
Bailey Bridge was made under license for the first 25 years. So really, if you made a Bailey Bridge, it had to be exactly the same as the original Bailey design. But that license ran out in 1967, and Mr. Maybe had some great ideas for improving the design of the bridge, and indeed, over the subsequent years, made a number of incremental improvements. The original Bailey had a, a timber deck and four transoms per bay of bridge. So a, bay, a panel is a bay of bridge. But in 1967, Super Bailey was introduced by Maybe, and it was a huge improvement in the quality of the steel, and the sheer capacity of the panel improved to 23 tonnes. A new steel deck was introduced to replace the timber deck, and a, a stronger transom meant that only two transoms per bay were ever needed instead of the four in the original Bailey. So that was quite a significant jump. And then the next step was a version of the bridge specifically designed to carry full highway loadings across a 100-foot span, 30 metres, in single storey. This version was called Compact 100. It retained the original 10-foot by 5-foot Bailey dimensions, panel dimensions, but it introduced close-tolerance bolts to the transoms instead of the clamps that had been used on Bailey. And that greatly strengthened the U-frame of the structure. It used better higher-grade steel and a revised deck system, and it meant that only one transom per bay was required. So the bridge was now even lighter than its predecessor. And then in 1986, uh, the next step change was maybe Compact 200, and this uh, was designed to carry four highway loadings across a 200-foot gap in single-storey, 60 metres. To do this, the panel had to be a different size, so it kept the same 10-foot dimension for each bay of bridge, but the panel was deeper now at seven feet, and uh, that improved the strength of the bridge, but it also meant a two-lane transom could be introduced. And one of the drawbacks of Bailey, it was only ever single lane. So now we had a possibility of a two-lane bridge, which could go 200 feet, 60 meters. At that time, a high shear panel was introduced at the end of the bridge, where the shear forces are the greatest. And that saved an additional panel in the truss, in the design. And then still on maybe Compact 200, but in 1992, the panel cords were further strengthened, which improved the bending capacity. And then we made a big jump as a result of the military experience of using Compact 200 in the Balkans campaign. So we introduced ground beams and grillages so the bridge could be built on almost any greenfield site. And we also designed and developed, together with the British Army, a fully adjustable ramp system, which could be used in the same greenfield site conditions to access the bridge for all types of military vehicles and all types of civilian vehicles. And this bridge, which we now call the Maybe Logistics Support Bridge, was optimised for military load class 80 for track vehicles or military load class 110 for wheeled vehicles. More to follow on that. But basically, the military load class 110 wheeled is equivalent to a main battle tank on its transporter. So a modern tank on a transporter. But of course, being able to be built quickly on a greenfield site means this bridge is equally suitable for civil emergency and disaster relief operations. That's what I wanted to clarify, because we've been talking, obviously, a lot about the military applications of it, but uh, I just wanted to make sure and clarify that bridging system is entirely usable for non-military situations and applications, correct? The main bridging system, the Compact 200, has been installed in more than 140 countries worldwide. It's suitable for everything, and the maybe logistic support bridge is an adaptation of that Compact 200, optimized for the current heavy military loads. What's the longest span, maybe bridge, that you're aware of that's been installed to date? One I know about is a 70-meter double-story bridge built in uh, Bosnia, 
And it's a great story, international cooperation. So there was a highway bridge, a concrete highway bridge, damaged by American bombs, taken out to prevent, to bring about the end of the war. And there was a big hole in the bridge and initial reaction was to build a Bailey Bridge across the hole. But unfortunately, it was only class 30 and really not even suitable for the heavy trucks which were being used for humanitarian resupplies, never mind military traffic. It was one of the first bridges built by NATO. Bailey Bridge was stripped out by the Germans. While the bridge was out of action, uh, the Hungarians operated a ferry across the river in the valley below. And then the two-story bridge was built by the French Foreign Legion Engineer Battalion. And all the parts were supplied by a multinational transport group with drivers from Belgium, Greece, Austria and Luxembourg. And the whole thing was commanded and controlled by a British engineering team. And it was done in 48 hours. It's just astonishing feat of international association and cooperation. And that's the longest, also happens to be the longest bridge that I know about. I've recently met a German who was there at the time. And he said that their commander was on the verge of mutiny because his soldiers were on the verge of collapse. They'd worked so hard for 48 hours. So there you go. That is very impressive. That's the longest span. What's the design service life for this type of bridge? And what might be the longest in-service bridge that you're aware of? The design service life of our bridges is nominally 60 years. But it does depend hugely on the volume of traffic. And there's no reason to suppose they wouldn't go on for much, much longer if they were lightly trafficked. But the design service is, is nominally 60 years. Now, the thing that we concentrate on is the fatigue of the decks because the decks are the, the most vulnerable. And we, in our designs and in our bridges, we always ask for and design to a number of cycles of the design load. So we will always guarantee at least 100,000 cycles of the design load for the decks, but it can go up to 2 million. And uh, just to give you an idea, 100,000 cycles is 40 vehicles a day, every day, 10 years. And it kind of plays right into the next question, which is, I know, you know, design service life really on any mechanical or civil engineered system is going to have a lot to do with the level of maintenance that is done on it. So I'd be curious to know kind of a hand-in-hand question with design service life is the type of maintenance that tends to be required on these types of bridging. One of the great things is very little. We provide, with every bridge we install, we provide an inspection and maintenance regime, uh, which is very easy. For example, we recommend an inspection after one month, and then every three months or at least once a year, depending on the volume of traffic. And those inspections are really to check that bolts remain tight. There's very little to be done. All the components are galvanized, and the galvanizing should last again for 60 years, matching the design life of the bridge in a normal environment. So if you're in a marine environment or in a splash zone, then you might consider some extra protection over and above the galvanizing. But the galvanizing means that you don't have to de-rust or paint the bridge. And lastly, if the bridge components get damaged, our policy is you replace them. Uh, because although they can be repaired in the field, and we give advice on how to do that, it's much, much better to replace the component because then you guarantee the strength of the bridge, which you won't be able to if it's a repaired component. Does maybe rely on an in-house civil structural engineer design capability for supporting clients, or do the clients have to use their own civil engineers to design bridge applications? We have a, a great team of uh, engineers our modular bridges are pre-engineered, which means the individual bridge design is very simple. However, we always check, our engineering project team always checks every bridge design to make sure it meets the customer's needs. We've installed our bridges in more than 140 countries worldwide, I've already said that. So we were able to meet the design requirements of a wide range of highway codes, 
from most nations. But yet we have an in-house uh, team and they're great. They always check everything we do. I'm a civil engineer or even a project sponsor and I want to source one of these bridges for a job. What do I need to know? So for instance, what kind of technical aspects or logistics related issues might I want to know about before I come in and give you a call? The thing is what we want to know from you. So, and these are the simplest details. So we want to know the length of the span. We want to know the load to be carried and the number of cycles of the design load. We need to know what design code you're operating to. And as I said, we can meet all of them in the world. We want to know whether you need uh, parapets or a separated footwalk. And if you want our factory applied anti-skid surfacing for the decks. And then based on all of that information, our engineers will suggest a design that fits your needs exactly. In terms of logistics, Every single component that we make fits inside a 40-foot container, and we ship these worldwide everywhere. Most of our components for this particular bridge will fit inside a 20-foot container. There are a couple of bits that we, which won't, but everything that we make will also fit on a standard flatbed truck or trailer. can even be carried as loose cargo in shipping on rail flats or in military aircraft. We've also uh, delivered major components to site as an underslung load. So it really is a versatile bridging system, both for military and also civilian emergency use. And I'm obviously I'm aware of, of these types of bridging applications and uh, the systems. And it's the logistics piece is what I find so amazing, Mark, is the fact that's taken into account in the design of the system itself in how to get it from a stockpile location to the actual application site. That was an important part of our requirement to meet the uh, British Army's logistics requirements. So we developed a very, very detailed loading plan for them, which is included in the manual. For most civil engineers, and we think about bridges, we think about proper full-out design and construction process that can take months, many, many months, maybe even over a couple of years to build the bridge out. And we're talking in this interview right now about a bridging system that can be, as Martin highlighted in the one example that he shared already, you know, constructed within 48 hours. And so as a civil engineer, if you've never dealt with uh, contingency or crisis response type situations or emergency response situations where you're having to quickly respond to something like a, literally like replacement of a bridge, this may be a new arena or a new area for you to go and do some of your own homework on. We'll share some additional resources in the show notes for you. It's a different way of thinking through things that uh, here is a situation or an application where you can use a actually construct a bridge in a very, very short period of time to be able to sustain and maintain crossings uh, over gaps, whether it be a river, a highway bridge, or whatever it might be. So it's a very interesting uh, civil engineering system. You talked uh, about the bridge in Bosnia. I was wondering if you might be able to share maybe a couple more examples, maybe more recent of uh, maybe bridge applications. We've talked about the military application, but maybe something from a civil or a humanitarian support type application would be great. The most recent military use of the bridge was in uh, Afghanistan in support of NATO and, of course, the British presence in Helmand province. And a number of the bridges built there by the British Army were left in situ for the use by the Afghan population uh, to cross the Helmand Canal and get to market. Just to mention, the biggest of the bridges that we built there, subsequently named the Freedom Bridge, was a 67-metre, two-storey compact 200 bridge. And that required extra assistance from us here in the UK from our engineering team on a reach-back basis, which we were happy to provide. Going on to the civilian application, a recent civilian application was a huge bridging restoration project in Pakistan following the devastating floods 
in the Swat Valley in, in 2010. And we supplied a total of 10 bridges of varying sizes. And they were constructed it sequentially, mostly using the original abutments. And in some cases, the original abutments that had also been washed away had to be restored before the bridges could be laid. We'll uh, work, if it's possible, Martin, with you afterwards here to make sure that maybe we can provide some photos of some of these bridge sure. applications so that people can put a picture to the words that, we, that you painted for them. Martin, where can our listeners learn more about the Bailey Bridge and about maybe itself? There's a tremendous book called One More Bridge to Cross by a retired engineer, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, which talks about military bridging through history. But it's got a great section on Bailey and the development of Bailey Bridge throughout the, the early years of the Second World War. I haven't got it with me, and I can't give you this guy's name, but I'll certainly pass that to you afterwards. Most importantly, information about our product is on our website, and on our website there is also some information about the Bailey Bridge and its development into our range of products. Our website is www.maybe.com, nice and simple. We'll have links to the book as well as links to the website. I have to say that you can, just by searching on the internet, you can get a lot of information about Bailey Bridge and its development. We'll send you another link about that too. Martin, thanks very much for the main segment here. Why don't you hold with me here for a few more moments. We'll be back in just a minute, everyone, with the Civil Engineer Hot Seat segment of the day. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, it's time for our Civil Engineer Hot Seat segment, which in today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, PPI. If you're preparing for the Civil PE exam, you probably know that the Civil Engineering Reference Manual by Michael Lindeberg is the book to use. Michael Lindeberg is actually the founder and president of PPI, the leader in FE and PE exam prep. And PPI has new prep courses available for the civil PE exam that offer complete coverage of not only the morning breadth exam, but also your choice of afternoon depth exams. The course presents over 60 hours of new content and walks you through tons of exam-like practice problems. And when you enroll in the live online prep course, PPI also includes on-demand lectures for free, so you can start studying while you wait for the course to begin. And through October 2017, PPI will be choosing two of our podcast listeners per month to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you enroll in this course. To enter the raffle, just visit www.pptopass.com forward slash civil prep. Again, that's www.ppi, the number two, pass slash civil prep. From there, you'll need to choose your course and check out. On the checkout page, enter the promo code prep and then complete your enrollment. Again, you need to enter the promo code PREP before completing your enrollment to qualify for the gift card. You'll be notified on the first of the month if you won the $100 gift card. Now, I used PPI for my PA exam prep, so I feel confident in recommending that you check out this prep course. Plus, you could win $100. Good luck. All right, Martin, to close out today's interview, I've got two final questions for you. And uh, we may have already hit on this one right here. I was going to ask you, it was a great resource to go to for engineers to get a little bit more information about temporary bridging. You shared the uh, the book, One More Bridge to Cross, and we'll make sure we link that one up. But are there any other general resources that you might recommend when it comes to, let's say, maybe even contingency engineering or crisis engineering that we might want to pass along to our listeners? I got all my information from uh, the internet and that book, which is excellent, and my personal experience and meeting people around the world as I go around in my job. So I don't have any further reference sites for further information, but I guess, you know, uh, search engines these days are pretty good and you can narrow stuff down pretty quickly. 
we stole your thunder with the one more bridge to cross book on the front end, but it's a good one. And uh, I've got a pretty extensive history bookshelf here. So this may be one that gets stuck between my engineering technical books and my history books. So I'll be uh, probably putting my hands on this one. This one, we didn't steal thunder earlier in the questions and it it's one of the questions, it's really the standard question that uh, my co-host Anthony and I always ask our guests. That question is, if you got into an elevator with a civil engineer and you had 30 to 40 seconds with him or her and had to give them some career advice, what would it be? You should go for as much as you can, learn as much as you can and experience as much as you can. You should get out on site as well as do the study, of course, do the study, but get out on site and see how things fit together. That's what drives every engineer. That's what drives me. A little bit of uh, leadership from my, first of all, my father, and then obviously in my career in the army. It's a fascinating, fascinating subject. And you just got to get out there and, and live it. Don't just read about it in books, get out there and live it. That's great advice, Martin. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time and joining me on the interview today. Thanks a lot, Martin. Thank you. All right, everyone, please remember that you can find show notes for the episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Just go there and look for episode number 60. And there you're going to find a summary of all the key points that were discussed in today's episode, as well as links to the resources, websites, and the book that we mentioned during the episode. You can also leave a question in the comments section or visit the Ask Us tab on the website. Anthony and I monitor all the comments, and we're going to respond if you leave us one. So please do. We look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com, where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.